Good morning, everyone. I'm glad to be here with you today. Take your Bible, if you would, and uh, let's turn to Romans chapter 2. Romans chapter 2. While you're doing that, we just had a visit from Stephanie's parents this past week, and uh, they told us after church on Sunday that that, uh, we probably didn't know just how good we have it with our singing. And uh, we talked about how it uh, can be the case in uh, churches nowadays where it's a a big show and a big production and the band and the people up front do most of the singing and the people out there sing along as best they can or or whatever. But um, at Parkside, the, the, the choir is all of us and, and we're singing to God. And so uh, they really enjoyed that. They really appreciated that. And uh, this morning was, was evidence of that. We love to worship uh, the Lord together in song. And uh, God has given us His Word as well. And so this time is when we get to open it up and read and see what it says. So we're in uh, chapter 2. We're going to finish the chapter, Lord willing, today, and we'll begin in verse 17. But last week we asked the question, what about those who have never heard? How will God judge those who have not had access to the written Word of God, the Bible? We read that God shows no partiality and He will judge the secrets of men according to the revelation that they do have. Those who don't have the Bible will be judged according to the internal testimony within them of God's requirements. And then that's where we pick it up in verse 17 of Romans chapter 2. But if you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and boast in God and know His will and approve what is excellent because you are instructed from the law, And if you are sure that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of children, having in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth, you then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? While you preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that one must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law, dishonor God by breaking the law. For as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. For circumcision indeed is of value if you obey the law. But if you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. So if a man who is uncircumcised keeps the precepts of the law... Will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? Then he who is physically uncircumcised but keeps the law will condemn you who have the written code and circumcision but break the law. For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. But a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart by the Spirit not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. Let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning to worship you. And we call to mind this morning the fact that we owe our very existence to you. You are our creator. 
you made us. You formed us. You gave us being. You gave us life. And so we owe our very existence to you and we worship you, our creator. And you are our sustainer. We get to draw breath. Our heart continues to beat. Gravity functions as it should. Weather patterns. The world spinning. You sustain us. And so we worship you. We worship you also as our redeemer. Because of ourselves, due to our rebellion, due to our hard heart, due to our treason, we deserve judgment from you. And yet, yet you sent your son to redeem us. And so we worship you, our redeemer. We praise you for what you have done for us, particularly in Christ that we have this salvation. We don't only draw breath, but we have eternal life for those who are in Christ. So we praise you for what you've done for us in Christ. We praise you for giving us your word. We praise you that you have communicated to us true things about yourself, about us, about how we can know you. And you have put those things down in your word and you've given us your word and we live in a time where we have access to it and we have access to it in various translations and we have access to it in the original languages. And you've given us your word and we rejoice in that and we praise you for that. And Father, this morning as we come to your word, we call to mind the fact that we live in a place where we get to do so freely and that is under your hand. And the instruments you have used to maintain that freedom are our veterans, those who have fought to defend this nation and defend this right. And today we remember so many of those who gave the ultimate sacrifice that we might have this freedom. And so we thank you and we are grateful for them. But as we open your word and as we dig into it and as we read things that may be difficult for us about ourselves, I pray that you, by your spirit, would work on our hearts, help us to be teachable before you. And bless us this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So it's said we should never judge a book by its cover. The book is good or bad based upon the content of its pages, not based upon the artwork on the outside or even the binding on the outside. I confess that I break that rule all the time and judge books based upon their cover. Sometimes it's the artwork. It catches my eye and I think that must be a great book. Or other times it's the binding. There's, I have this particular thing about a, 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 the size of a book. If the size is, uh, of the book is right and it's bound well, I, I just want it. I just have a problem with that. And so but you can't judge a book by its cover because no matter how great the artwork is, no matter how great the binding is, or if it fits in your pocket just right or in your hand just right or on the shelf just right, you open it up and read what's inside and it's often terrible. And so you think, well, great cover, terrible book. <laughs> we shouldn't judge a book by its cover. 
The proverb stands, the cover art or even the binding can be made to convey nearly anything, but the words on the page may or may not be worth your time. And so regardless of what the outward presentation has going for it, it's what is on the inside that truly matters. And that is our topic for the day. That's where we come to in Romans chapter 2, this topic of what is on the inside, regardless of what is on the outside. And we begin with the Jews. He has been talking about those who do not have the law. He's been talking about judgment for them and, and uh, th- those who don't have the written law. But what about, what about the Jews? The Jewish nation has the law. And he begins by talking about their unprecedented advantages. We read in verses 17 and 18 about these five blessings. But if you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and boast in God and know his will and approve what is excellent because you are instructed from the law, these blessings that they had, and they were very great blessings. They had the title of Jew, which was a name used at the time to refer to uh, those who were the, the nation of Israel. There was a time in the Old Testament when uh, Judea or Judah and Israel were separate and whatnot. But during this time in history, the, the term Jew referred to someone who was a child of Abraham or someone who was uh, within the nation of Israel. And so that was a very great blessing. They had a privileged status, God's chosen people. They had a very rich history that they could look at of, of God's gracious dealings with their fathers. They called themselves Jews and that meant a lot. And they could rely on the law. They, they looked to God's word, the law, for guidance for their family and for their nation and for their life. They had a great blessing. They could rely upon God's law given to them in a unique way, and they could rely on it. They could boast in God. And actually, the prophet Jeremiah, in chapter 9, we read this. Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches, but let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me. And they had that unique relationship with God, and so they could boast in God, and they they knew his will. I, I often praise God that we don't have to fumble around in the dark with no revelation for him and trying to figure out what God wants. He has told us explicitly in his word, and they had his word. They knew his will, and so thus they could approve what is excellent. They were taught from God's word. They taught, had been taught what God valued, and they could thus value the same thing, and they could approve what is excellent. So there were these five blessings, and those five blessings came with four prerogatives. We continue on in verse 19 and 20. And if you are sure that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of children, having in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth. So the the great privilege that that they had received resulted in certain responsibilities, uh, certain prerogatives of what they should do. They were indeed guides to the blind. They were light to those who were in darkness. And often in the Old Testament prophets, you read about the Gentiles being the nations that are in darkness. And they were a light to those who were in darkness. They were instructors of the foolish and they were teachers of children. So they had information from God. They had truth. They had revelation. They had God's communication to mankind. And they had the task of teaching the nations, taking that to the nations. 
And having received the law, the embodiment of knowledge and truth, they're God's representatives on earth to teach the ignorant nations who God is and what God expects. An example of this is Psalm 117. Very short psalm. Praise the Lord, all nations. Extol Him, all peoples. For great is His steadfast love toward us, and the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. So here you have the nation of Israel teaching the other nations to come and praise the Lord with us because His faithfulness endures forever. The nations were in darkness, and Paul talks about that in Ephesians 2 where he talks about the Gentiles who were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of the promise, having no hope and without God in the world. And the Jews were given the task of teaching them to teach them. So they came with, these blessings came with prerogatives. And they had glorious possessions. They had the law. They had the, the, the locus of knowledge and truth. Their whole culture was to be built around. Their family was to be built around. Their life was to be built around the law. They had it in their hands. They had it in their minds. They were to meditate on it day and night. They were to guard their way according to God's word. They were entrusted with it. What a possession. They were to store up his word in their hearts that they might not sin against him. They had God's word. They were entrusted with the most valuable thing on earth. The word of God. The oracles of God. And you can see that even in their nature of their worship. When they created the tabernacle, what did they put at the very center? When they built the temple, what did they put at the very center? There was a room that was the, the holy of holies. It was the holiest place. And what was in the middle of that? It was the Ark of the Covenant. And what was inside the Ark? The law. God's Word. The Ten Commandments. They had possession of it. Their, their, their very faith was built entirely around God's Word, the law. And so what's the application for you and for me? Take advantage of the unspeakable blessings and the opportunities that you have. If, if you don't like the version I read, you can find another. You can find another really good one. You can find several others. And if you don't like reading in translation, you can go learn Greek. It won't take you that long, not nearly as long as you might think. And we have access to that. And if you don't want to learn Greek, but you just want to have access to it, you can do so on your computer. And you can have access to the language of the New Testament, the language of the Old Testament. You have the Bible in your hand. You have good resources to use those. Use the Bible. Study the Bible. Understand the Bible. Take advantage of the very great blessings that you have, the very great privilege that you've been given. And here we're gathered in a church centered around God's Word. We get to encourage each other. We get to worship together. If you want to grow in Christ, we will give you opportunity and we will help you do so. You have that advantage as well. And we live in a time and place where we get to study the Bible openly in here and you can carry it out of here and not be afraid. We have great blessings. So take advantage of those opportunities that you have. There's no reason. There's no excuse. If, if you don't have time to read the Bible, and I would argue with you about that, but if you don't think you have time to read the Bible, you can get it on your phone and it'll read to you while you're driving to work. 
there's time. We have incredible advantages. So take advantage of those opportunities and grow in Christ. Know God's Word. But in the face of their unprecedented unprecedented advantages, Paul issues an unflinching indictment. He continues on in verse 21 and 22 where he deals with the topic of hypocrisy. He says, You then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? While you preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that one must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? Is there hypocrisy? They had every advantage. They had God's law. By the way, when I read this, I'm a teacher. I understand that it, it's convicting to me because it's, it's one thing to teach God's Word, isn't it? And sometimes, very often, I look and I think, oh, I can teach that, but I'm, do I live that? And that's one of the dangers of being a teacher of God's Word. And here was an entire nation that had been given the task of being teachers of God's Word. They had the law by which they recognize the sins of Gentiles around them. They teach others. But their own history as a nation and their culture, even at the time of Paul's writing, show a pattern of sin that's not entirely different from the pattern of sin in the Gentile world. They possessed the law since the time of Moses, and yet there was still significant remnants of these vices within their own people. The law speaks against theft, and there were Jewish thieves. The law condemns adultery, and yet it persisted. The law warned to stay away from idolatry. And really, Israel had put idolatry, literal idolatry behind them from the time of the exile in the Old Testament. They had learned their lesson in that way, but that didn't stop them from, certain of them, from seeking profit from idolatry or from idolaters. Different commentators, different scholars discuss what this means about robbing temples, and they have different ideas. And, and uh, you know, some, some people say that, well, since, a, since a, an idol isn't really a thing, it's not, it doesn't ha- really have existence, that therefore robbing from that temple is not really robbing anything. So you're good to go, right? And so the idea is there, there may have been some who stole the idol itself, melted it down, and resold the valuable metals. Well, that's a possibility. And there was, they were sort of getting around a technicality because since an idol doesn't have its own existence, have they really stolen anything? I guess not. And so there, there's a possibility that was what was going on. But whatever the specific meaning, the point is that there were Jews who were taught to stay away from idols, but because of their greed, they manipulated the system of idolatry somehow to their own profit. You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? So hypocrisy abounded, even among those who had every spiritual advantage. And Paul now levels his indictment against them for the dishonor that they are bringing to God. Look at verse 23. You who boast in the law dishonor God by breaking the law. The very fact that they had God's revelation, they had it in their possession, and yet didn't keep it, was an affront to God. Now they, they valued God's word and actually Rabbi Hillel who was a first century BC rabbi he, he taught this 
The more study of the law, the more life. And if a man gains for himself words of the law, he has gained for himself life in the world to come. So there was a very great value, a very great honoring of God's word. And yet it didn't necessarily match up into life. Can you relate to that? I was just uh, thinking this morning of a, a, a man I went to college with at uh, Moody Bible Institute. And he was, he, after graduation, he memorized the book of Romans. He was single and engaged and, you know, wanted something unprofitable to do with his time while he was waiting for his, his uh, fiance to finish school. So he memorized Romans. And I remember being amazed, first of all, because I think he was the first person I met who had memorized such a book. Remember, I challenged you at the beginning to do so. So how far have you gotten? It starts off relatively easy. <laughs> I see some shaking of the heads. But he, he noticed this. He said, yeah, he, and he, he worked as a cook at the, at the university or at the school there. And so he was, you know, in the kitchen by himself a lot, reciting Romans to himself. And we just thought that was amazing. And he said, you know what? I've got the entire book hidden in my heart and I still sin. And that just struck him deeply. He was convicted by that. The fact that he had, he had yet more opportunity. He had even taken advantage of the opportunity by memorizing God's word. And yet in his own life, he could see, I still have sin. And that's kind of what's going on with the nation. They valued the law. They boasted in it. They, they gloried in it. But the very thing that they boasted in, they, they nevertheless broke. And when they broke it, they brought dishonor upon the God who had given them his word. And that was the greatest connection between them and God. God's word, his law. And they had broken it. That's convicting to me. That breaking of it subjected God to dishonor and to contempt. Their own dishonoring of God by their behavior, uh, by their behavior caused pagans to think less of their God, resulting in blasphemy. So their own behavior by itself not only brought dishonor to God, but it caused the pagans around them to blaspheme. Look what we see in verse 24. For as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. Now that's a quote from Isaiah 52. And in Isaiah 52, he's talking about a time when the people of Israel were going to be in captivity for their sin, kicked out of the land. And, and the, the comment there is that the nations are going to look at this and they're going to see this and they're going to blaspheme God because of what you've done, because of your behavior, because of the punishment that they received from God. And of course, the punishment they received was because of their own behavior. And so in what ways did it cause Gentiles to blaspheme God? Well, first of all, it made it appear as though God couldn't really control his people. If his own people were willing to be disobedient in such a way, well, God must be kind of weak. And so that's blasphemy, and that's one of the things that they thought. And perhaps their sinful lifestyle, you know, when the, when the Gentiles thought about the Jewish lifestyle, that had resulted in them being banished, them being in captivity. Perhaps that sinful lifestyle was actually God's character. The character shown in them that was unfaithful and that was idolatrous, maybe that was actually God's character. And so those are blasphemous thoughts. And the, the action of the nation of Israel and Judah caused people to think those things. Or maybe 
God just not strong enough to protect his people. And when the invading army came in and the invading army trounced the Jews, well, God must be weak. All of these things were thoughts that, that the, the Gentile nations might begin to think because of the way the people of God treated the law of God and treated God himself. The sins of God's people brought disrepute upon their God. And I think the application here is obvious. Are there ways your life helps unbelievers to blaspheme God? That's convicting also. There are people watching. There are people watching. They, they see us and they, say, they see that we name the name of Christ. They, they know that we're out here this morning together. They know that we go to church and yet they, they look at our lives. and Now sometimes, sometimes they will find any fault with anybody. And you could reflect Christ and they will look at that exact reflection of Christ and they'll call it being judgmental. Or they'll call it being a, a hypocrite because surely you can't really be that way. And some of that is, is just the world being the world. Rejecting the revelation that they have. But there are times when God's people, there's times when I behave in such a way that the observant Gentile, the observant pagan around me could look and say, draw some conclusions about God that wouldn't be great. And so the question for us is, are there, are there ways in which that is the case? Fortunately, the sermon is not done, but neither is our passage here. We're, we're reminded next in the next paragraph about the ultimate essentials. Look at verse 25 through 27. For circumcision indeed is of value if you obey the law. But if you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. So if a man who is uncircumcised keeps the precepts of the law, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? Then he who is physically uncircumcised but keeps the law will condemn you who have the written code and circumcision but break the law. You see, he addresses appearances. Appearances. Circumcision itself was given as an outward sign of the covenant between God and Abraham. And that same sign was picked up and carried into the law, the covenant given through Moses. But it was to be an outward sign of the covenant that already existed internally. Paul's going to speak about this in Romans chapter 4, and he was going to say that Abraham was declared to be righteous already before he was circumcised. And he goes on to say in verse 11 of chapter 4, Abraham received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. So the circumcision was to be an outward sign, a visible sign of something that had already happened internally. It was to be an outward presentation or representation of an internal truth that Abraham was righteous before God. And therefore, Abraham, in light of that, take on circumcision but it had changed. And how easy it is for us to change the meaning of symbols. That symbol had changed from being a sign of an inward truth to being an outward thing that we rely upon and is a distinction between the Jews and other people. And Paul addresses that. He said circumcision is of value if you obey the law, meaning if this internal reality is true, circumcision is valuable. But if you break the law, your circumcision becomes 
uncircumcision. And then he talks about a man, if there's a man who's uncircumcised and does the law, well, his circumcision actually is counted as, his uncircumcision is counted as circumcision. And vice versa, if there was a man who had been properly circumcised, but disobeyed the law, what did his circumcision get him? Nothing. It was counted as uncircumcision. It was to be an outward sign of an inward reality. And if the inward reality belied the outward sign, the outward sign was irrelevant. We can change the meanings of outward symbols and we can fake them, can't we? How many times do we present ourselves one way when that way is not really the truth? How many times do we rely upon outward symbols? I've had... Pastor Woody and I have talked about this many times. We've had numerous people come to us because they, they want to be baptized and we say, praise the Lord. And we start asking them about their faith and why they want to be baptized. And it's because they think that outward sign will do the trick. That outward sign of being baptized, that will make them saved. That will make them Christians. That will give them security and they'll be okay with God. When what is baptism? Baptism is an outward symbol of a truth that's already happened internally. So you can lie by means of the outward symbol. You can be misled by means of the outward symbol. You can be misled by appearances. But it's the reality behind the sign that's important because that reality can be very, very different. A man's disobedience to the law would render him guilty before the law regardless of his status of circumcision. Likewise, a man's obedience to the law would render him innocent before the law, regardless of the status of his circumcision. The outward symbol was not the point. And too many of the Jews had based their confidence on their circumcision when they should have been concerned about inward obedience to God from the heart. But they had been distracted and so that brings us to Paul's final assessment in 28 and 29. He says, For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. But a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. The final assessment that God makes is not about what external things we have done, what external hoops we have jumped through. The final assessment is not, have you been circumcised? The final assessment is not, have you been baptized? The final assessment is on the inward reality, the inward truth. Does it exist or does it not exist? He says, no one is a Jew who's merely one outwardly. Circumcision doesn't make you a Jew. And merely possessing the outward markers of being a Jew does not make you a Jew internally. No one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. The circumcision that God desires is the circumcision of the heart. All the way through the Old Testament, we see that again and again, that notion of, of the circumcision of the heart, that, that it's so easy to, to, to just make an adjustment to the flesh and there be no change in the heart. But it's that circumcision of the heart 
that God is after. No one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, but a Jew is one inwardly. Being a a Jew, a true heir to the promises of God, is an inward spiritual matter. And the circumcision that matters is the circumcision of the heart that is done by the Spirit. The law can't accomplish that. The flesh can't accomplish that. The criterion of what makes a person an heir of the promises of God cannot reliably be seen from the outside. His praise is not from man. The criterion is an internal, spiritual one that only God can see because the Lord of hosts sees the heart and the mind. He sees not as a man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart, 1 Samuel 16. And so the final application here is who praises you? Who praises you? What, where is the marker of your faith? Where is your, your marker as being the heir of God's promises? Is it merely on the outside? Pastor Woody mentioned earlier on that coming to church doesn't make you a Christian. There is nothing outward that can make you a Christian. All of those things can be done with no faith. You can give a convincing testimony and not be a Christian. You can be baptized and not be a Christian. You can come to church your whole life and not be a Christian. We knew a knew of, I just met him one time, I didn't really know him, a man who was coming to the Moody Church in Chicago, which is where we attended. He'd been a pastor for 15 years before he got saved. You can be a pastor and not be a Christian. Nothing outward makes you a Christian. The marker must be internal. The circumcision of the heart. And so this is where I want us to end our time today. It's, it's what is going on on the inside that truly matters. That circumcision of the heart. The heart that has been circumcised is the heart that realizes God is holy and good and I'm not. He made me and I have every obligation to obey God with my whole life from the bottom of my heart with who I am. And yet I don't. Instead, I have incurred guilt from God. Instead, I stand before Him guilty as a, as a, a rebellious creation deserving of His wrath. Wrath that he one day will pour out. But the circumcised heart has begun to look beyond himself and has realized the truth that God sent his only son who was obedient to the Father where we've been disobedient, who walked with God perfectly, obeying from the heart in every aspect of his life, all of his life. And he went to the cross to pay the penalty for my sin. And the circumcised heart realizes that is the only hope I have for eternal life. There is no other. There is no other but Jesus alone and what He's done. And the circumcised heart realizes I can't do this. I want to know God. I want peace with God. And Jesus Christ is the only way to have peace with God. That's what the circumcised heart has realized. And you know what God does? That's when 
God works in that heart. God works internally. He gives those internal marks, not just the external markers, and we should have those. If you're a Christian, you should be baptized. We should be at church. We should read God's Word. All of these advantages that the Jews had, we have in so many ways. But obedience to them must come from the heart, from a circumcised heart. And so my, my close today is that if, if you don't know Christ, if you're on the outside, if you have an uncircumcised heart, you may or may not have the, the external markers. But when the true assessment comes of those internal markers, when he looks for the circumcised heart, when he looks for the heart that has been made flesh instead of stone, when he looks for your heart towards him that can only be accomplished by his spirit, will it be there? And if you're on the outside, the call is for you to put your faith in Christ. The call is for you to trust in him. And God will do that. And you will have peace with God. This passage is a challenging passage because there's so much in it. There are so many similarities. We have God's word also. We have so many advantages. We have so much opportunity. And how often do we take advantage of that opportunity? I want us to take advantage of it more. I want to know God's word better. I want to obey it better. I want to teach other people better. And I, I want to see us built around God's Word. I desire to see that. And you desire to see that. That's why you're here on a Sunday morning. But we're not there yet. But I praise God that there is mercy, even for us. There is mercy. That He who has circumcised our heart continues to grow us, continues to draw us to himself, continues to show himself to be glorious and righteous and willing and desirous and powerful to work in our hearts, to draw us after himself more and more. And so there is hope, even when we think back to this week or this month or this year and, and we realize how often we've given pagans opportunity to blaspheme God or we've not taken advantage of the opportunities Christian there is forgiveness for that and there is hope the reminder that you're hearing even now is part of that hope to snap you out of slumber and and cause you to realize the glories that we have in Christ this life that we have that springs from within that God put in there and the opportunities that we have to, to know Him by His Word and the chance we have to worship together and to teach others about Christ. Even this reminder right now, my prayer is that it will wake us up, that we would rejoice in this gospel, rejoice in these opportunities that we have, that we would rejoice in Christ. And the, the singing that we did earlier that was fabulous and drew our hearts to God, that that would be our day, that that would be our week, that we would go about our lives rejoicing in God in that way because He is merciful. He is merciful. Let's pray. Father, I thank You that You see to the heart. Initially, that's bad news because the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked and who can know it? But You don't only see there you also work there and you perform a circumcision of the heart. You take out that heart of stone and you place in, in its place a heart of flesh. Then you redeem people from the inside out.
I rejoice in that. I, I rejoice in that. I look at my own life and I see some outward markers are in place. May I not trust in them? May I, may I trust in you instead? But I see other outward things where I've not come into conformity yet to the image of Christ. And I'm not alone in that. But I thank you that you, who circumcised my heart, is at work even now, drawing me to yourself, working in my life, conforming me to the image of your Son. Father, I pray that uh, this message from Romans chapter 2 would be a wake-up call for us, that we would look at these amazing opportunities that we have, that we would respond in faith to you in light of those opportunities, that we would know your word, that we would walk with you, that we would tell others about you, that we indeed would be teachers of children as well. Father, I pray that you'd bless each one here. I pray that no one would walk out the door this morning uh, not trusting in you. I pray that you would redeem people even now. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your word. And thank you for that internal working that you do of circumcising the heart. Father, we praise you and we worship you because of what Jesus has done. We pray in Jesus' name. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen and amen. God bless you and you're dismissed.